to me, what I really define as a winner is a product that I can get sales from consistently every day and at profit, and then I can scale. But there's a lot of products that I've found that you can get a few sales, and that's about it. A lot of products that you can find, you can get consistent sales, but you can't make any money at the end of the day. So to me, I very much look at that. I take a very long-term approach that I need to get consistent sales and at a profit. So for me, until I get to that point, I really don't define I have a winner. So that's how I define it anyway. Hi guys, we're here back with another Ecom Hunt video, value pack, and another interview with one of the main influencers in the dropshipping niche. And today we're uh, very pleased to have Ricky Hayes with us from Australia. Hi, Ricky. So maybe you can introduce yourself a little bit to the audience. Maybe, I don't know if everyone's heard of you or seen your stuff on, on YouTube. Yeah, pleasure. Currently it's 7.30 a.m. So you have to excuse me being a little tired. Sorry. But so yeah, I've been a dropshipper myself for about two and a half years, been doing this and had a YouTube channel for, I think, about a couple of years. Pretty much started doing it because I just wanted to, like anyone else, pretty much just share some value and it's been a good learning experience going from where I was to where I am in terms of just learning how to be in front of a camera and uh, all the people that I've met along the, the way. So since doing dropshipping, I've collectively done over $8 million in sales and revenue across the world. I very much now currently specialize in sort of building and scaling brands and that's sort of where I focus a lot of my attention. So yeah, that's a bit about me. Wow, that's crazy. That's only only two, two and a half years and you've gotten so far. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm quite surprised too. Once you have a, a winning product, you really know and really like collectively across that 8 million, you know, it's not as if that that's like 50, 60 products. It's, it's less than like 10 products because like the products that are real winners, you can scale them to the moon. So I've got to attribute it to that. <laughs> now, that's a very interesting point because a lot of people that are beginning and they're like, oh, we got to test. It's about testing, testing. I mean, it is about testing because you've got to find the winners. But maybe this leads to the next question that is like, how do you know you have a winner? Because, you know, like sometimes it can be kind of winning. You know, maybe it's getting like 10, 10 a day or something, you know. How do you define like what's a winner for you? Yeah, it's, it's a very interesting thing. So the definition to me of a, a winner, obviously, you know, first and foremost, it requires a good amount of research. Anything that ever is really successful requires a good amount of research. And you'll find most businesses that do very well in whatever regard that is, a lot of research is required because that teaches you all about your audience, how to market it to them. The better you can do that, the higher chance of it becoming a winner because most of the time we're all marketing on Facebook. And so it's all about how you market to the customer, especially in a very competitive place. So even then, once you've done a huge amount of research and you've made it what you define as the perfect ad and that, that doesn't necessarily define it as a winner because first started, you have to start getting sales. <laughs> and then to me, what I really define as a winner is a product that I can get sales from consistently every day and at profit and then I can scale. But there's a lot of products that I've found that you can get a few sales and that's about it. A lot of products that you can find, you can get consistent sales, but you can't make any money at the end of the day. So to me, I very much look at that. 
I take a very long-term approach that I need to get consistent sales and at a profit. So for me, until I get to that point, I really don't define I have a winner. So that's sort of how I define it anyway. Would you say sometimes you can have a product, for example, that's if it's making some money on a low range and then you try to scale it and it just doesn't scale or some products aren't scalable or some are scalable? What do you say about that? Like, you have experience with that? Yeah, so it really comes down to, again, to me, to, to really scale a product quickly and profitably is the level of saturation in the product at times. Not to say that any product can't be scaled regardless, but when I say saturation, saturation comes down to either the product itself being a new untapped saturated product or the way that you're marketing it is a completely new and untapped way of marketing it. At the end of the day, those are the most important parts. I've seen many people that have sold very heavily saturated items spend a lot of time to market in a way that's very new and fresh. And as a result, it works very well. But for a lot of my personal success, I found it much easier where I find a very new untapped product that I can then scale quite aggressively that way personally. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Some people say, oh, but there's no such thing as saturation, right? You can, you can make any product the winner, but mm. it's harder. It's hard. It can be harder to make it work, I think, if you have everybody's trying because to sell something. The problem with dropshipping is, you know, we're talking the average order value is generally between, for most stores, in between $20 to $50. And with how competitive Facebook is now, your cost per purchase just keeps going up and so your margin just keeps going down. And that's why I look at that so much personally. I see. That's interesting. Let's shift into something else that I hear you talking about in some of your videos in terms of Google and YouTube and YouTube influencers. I was watching that video you had with Peter Prue and Camille, Ecom King and, and you. The founder of the Dropshipping Council, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was that was interesting, and you were, and I heard, I saw you guys talking there about using YouTube influencers, and you were asking about that and talking about that. Maybe say something about Google and YouTube, how you use Google and YouTube. That maybe a lot of dropshippers are stuck on Facebook and they're not reaching out to Google at all. Yeah, so a lot of people use Instagram influencers, which is a, a very good source of influencer marketing, and it can work quite well. The problem with Instagram influencers, personally, from my perspective, is is that it's like a momentary trend. So, you know, it'll go up and then it'll go down because a lot of Instagram influencers is based on stories and stories disappear just as quick as they come up. The benefit of YouTube, and I use a lot of blog influencers as well. I've also used Twitter, but predominantly blog and YouTube. YouTube is a gateway where people can learn more about your product anyway. So like a lot of people, you'll see massive products have reviews on YouTube. People go there to watch those. So for starters, that's fantastic. YouTube influencers are just as trusted as Instagram, if not even more objectively. The best thing is, is that, you know, you can help the influencer SEO optimize it as well. So like it actually basically allows people to find your video more consistently. So you've got something that's always working in your favor in the background because people can organically find these videos and find the links in their descriptions and so on. That's very interesting what you say about blogs. Nobody I've heard talk about that. You know, everyone's talking about Instagram, Instagram. I mean, maybe YouTube, but blogs, that's interesting. Because when people are Google searching, I mean, when I'm Google searching what phone to buy, you know, 
you're reading the articles that are reviewing the phones and, and you know. So Yeah, there's a lot of articles out there you can actually pay for. Sometimes you don't. I mean, it obviously depends on the site, but where, you know, let's say the top five are pans to use for cooking food and those are usually like paid where those people have actually paid to be one of those top five and, and that work very well. And maybe the top five things that you need for cooking every day, so on and so yeah, forth, yeah, as an example. Yeah. They work very well because, again, when someone's searching for these on Google, they clearly have a very high intent to start off with. On top of that, with an article that's sort of a trusted site that's not really selling them, you get very high quality traffic that's very likely to buy when they land on your website. So the downside with both of those, especially the blog one, is it can work early term well. It's more a long-term one where it starts to mature over time. And that's why I personally do it because I prefer a long-term approach. So I'm willing to wait to get to that point. That's interesting. When you say long-term, you mean you're winning product. It's not like one of those things where it shoots up, you scale it, and then it's peters out and bye-bye. You try to keep it going long-term. I define long-term as generally about 12 months. So I'll spend a long time because one of the other ways personally for me that I've found to sell a saturated product, let's say, or a product that's been heavily sold, it's a winning product for a reason. It doesn't mean that it's just limited to Facebook. You can sell it anywhere. It's just a matter of knowing how to and giving it time. What do you say about when you're looking at the one product stores versus niche stores and general stores? Everyone has their own opinion on that. And the trend now is kind of towards one product stores, but that also has kind of some negatives in terms of having to take everything down and replace everything. What's your take on that? I personally prefer just a a niche store personally. One product stores definitely have their perks, but to me, there's more than enough software out there where you can literally just get your winning product from on a niche store and just make a funnel. And there you go, you've got a one product store. And also the other thing is that the ads are linking to your product page anyway. So it doesn't really matter. And you got the upsells and you can bundle stuff together. And so you got, you know, it's basically it can be like a one product store kind of. That's kind of, I guess, what you're saying. What I'll do is I'll sell a product on my niche store, sell it well, keep selling it. And what I'll do is to try and scale it higher, I just use funnel building software and Shopify and get my team to build me a funnel and so on. And and I'll try and scale it that way. And the real definition of a one product store is just not having menu items, honestly, from my perspective. So if people can't click out to other parts of your website, there you go, you've got a one product store. So the whole idea of a one product store is more ease of use for beginners. But at the end of the day, it's much for muchness, in my opinion. I see. That's interesting. When you're talking about using like a page builder or something within Shopify, I guess you're referring to like places like Zipify, Gem Pages, like all these, these kind of things that you're talking about. Yeah, do you think these actually, I mean, increase your conversion rates compared to not using them? Uh, what's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, like that's an, always an interesting question. Sometimes it can work adversely as well. Uh, and that's why at the end of the day, you honestly don't know until you try it. So I've had it at times where sometimes just a product page is done better than a landing page. But the matter of the fact is I'd rather try it, know, than, you know, 
not try and always wonder, I guess. So, yeah, I use a landing page builder person. I just use Zipify. I use also a checkout app, try and further enhance the whole funnel process. Because at the end of the day, my goal is to get as many customers through the door as possible. I can then upsell them. And the most important part is then I can sell them further down the line as well. You know, there's the services that people are using, Udrapi and CJ Shipping. So you have warehouse services and you can maybe have AliExpress supplier with their own warehouse in the US, for example. Or, you know, what's your take on how you should organize that? I mean, should you use the agent? You know, there's different ways that people are doing it now. At the end of the day, like the faster the shipping statistically proven, and this has been proven by Amazon, the faster the shipping, the higher likelihood of a repeat returning customer. So I um, very much take the approach of doing warehouses. So if you're on a limited budget, like in the beginning, I won't go. The downside is you have to buy a lot of stock to use these warehouses a lot of the times. So in the beginning, I will use a dropshipping agent. I'll buy, let's say, 20 of the items. It doesn't matter. I'll test the item, confirm that I can sell it, even if it's at a loss consistently. And that's when I'm like, okay, I can see that I'm getting traction here. That's the most important part. Now I need to start preparing for if I want to scale this high and I want to have good shipping, I need to buy in bulk. So personally, I will go on Alibaba. I use that a lot. And I'll get my suppliers onto you know WeChat, blah, 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 get it branded how I want. And then I'll get it sent to a warehouse and scale it that way. Because then you usually have like one to four day shipping and you know, no one's really going to complain with that. Everyone's very happy naturally. Yeah, that's great. When you're doing that, how do you know which product that you're going to take to the next level? Because sometimes you say it's getting traction. Let's say it could get traction. And then let's say, because then you've got to order in bulk, right? So you get traction, let's say. And then you stop selling it basically. And then you order in bulk. And then there's a gap there. And then the Facebook ads that were getting traction, I guess. If you're going to stop those and then restart them, it could mess with the algorithm. And then maybe after you order bulk, then it stops working at it. How do you deal with that? Yeah. So that, that is always the, the downside, isn't it? At the end of the day, I very much take the approach if I prefer to provide a quality customer experience, and I'm sure most people do. One thing I usually do is I just try and be very transparent on my product page about what's happening with the product. And what I'll actually do is I'll just put it on pre-order. Obviously, that hurts your conversion rates, no doubt. But you'd be very transparent about it in terms of saying this is on pre-order and that if you pre-order it, it is going to be X amount of time away. And so people will pre-order it. And I also have a on my thank you page a notification, my email notification. It just means that I'm going to have some extra customer service because customers still won't read any of those and, uh, and ask, where's my order? So I take that type of approach. It means that I can't scale as aggressive, but... It means that, yeah, you don't have the downside of stopping your ads and potentially losing that traction, so to speak. I see. Very interesting. What do you do in terms of evaluating suppliers in terms of their reliability? I personally like the, you know, I see how quickly they're responding. You know, they switch on to like WhatsApp or something and you got a good relationship and it's going and, you know, it seems like they got good English and... And then other ones, they don't respond. I don't know how you, how you judge it. Kind of. I use a very similar criteria in terms of responsiveness shows how serious they are in business, more or less, or for your business, I guess. 
Two, if their English is good, clearly shows that either one, obviously they are very good at speaking multiple languages or they have dedicated staff knowing to that. Three, I look at a lot of their pages where a lot of them now, you'll notice on AliExpress, actually they support dropshipping and stuff and you can tell that they've clearly had a lot of experience and very much want to make that a very lucrative business channel for them. And four, like I'll look at how many products they have, how many reviews and stuff. Reviews can be fake, but we can use it as a sort of a, a metric to go by. So like, you know, most good AliExpress suppliers will have like at least a 4.8, you know, with let's say hundreds upon hundreds of reviews. And that's just a very good indication. And then on top of that, like you can see that their processing times, some have very long processing times. They're usually just drop shipping it through like a, a Chinese supplier themselves, <laughs> the ones to look for that usually have fast processing times usually actually have their own warehouse and that too. And they're also probably the most reliable. Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. Take their added value bonus. What do you say about product research? Ecom Hunt, if you're familiar, other methods that you would recommend in terms of how you find your winners? Yeah, I mean, like, obviously, there's a lot of tools out there, including, you know, Ecom Hunt, which, you know, you guys specialize in building a team and process and algorithm to basically find those products for you. If I were to say how to do it manually without a tool or anything, one, it just requires at the end of the day, you have to have a bit of gut feeling, intuition. Um, that's just a skill you end up learning over time. It's just something that you can't put on paper explicitly, unfortunately. But two, the things that I go off by is, does it solve a problem? The easiest products to sell are always ones that solve a problem because people can justify the expense because it helps them in their daily living. Yeah. You know, does it help me make cooking 10 times faster or yeah. safer for my family? Yeah. I also like to look at how much the product is, let's say on AliExpress, to how much I can sell it for because of how competitive digital marketing is and e-commerce. I like to factor in at least a $15 cost per purchase because, you know, just after the marketing and how competitive things are now, you have to sort of account for that. Three, you know, like some products you can quite clearly see as well. Can I do bundles with it quite comfortably? Yeah. Some products you just naturally can see you can do bundles to increase yeah. average order value. Yeah. Four as well for me is I want to be able to clearly see who the target audience is. You know, like if it's a kitchen item, well, okay, it's for people into kitchen-related interests and I find it a lot easier to sell e-commerce items to a female demographic than a male demographic. Men always buy in that, but generally find that the top dropshipping items as well are very heavily geared towards women being the main buyer. So if I can see that my audience is primarily a female-related audience and I can see that it solves the problem, has good margin, passionate niche, then that to me is sort of very good indicators and I'll start doing more research to understand more about the product and audience from there. Wow, that's interesting. Okay, let's get to the last question I have for you. In terms of testing, you know, a lot of people are going with the CBO testing now or you still would use the old method, you know, and then scaling, you know, People like to go with the CBO or duplicating the old method or mixing it and testing one or the other. What's your take on it? CBO or stick with the old method? Personally, I've been using CBO now for about 12 months. So they both still very much have their perks. ABO is very, very much for very short term and very early stages of, of seasoning your pixel, I find. But you'll find that nearly every time long term, you'll transition to CBO. Because CBO 
it takes time for it to learn and optimize itself. It's its own mini algorithm really at the end of the day. And so I focus very much on sort of CBO and gradually scale it. I find that using CBO, giving it time, and then also with Facebook, I find that very aggressive scaling doesn't work for me personally very well. I like to be very gradual because if you increase your spend dramatically, you can have a day where you make $1,000 in profit and then the next day you might lose it because Facebook will just go nuts. So I take a very gradual approach. Oh, that's interesting. I like the duplicate ad sets. Avoid touching anything that's working. So I get like, yeah, you're scared as you're just going to... I do a bit of that too, but I do find that like once you find the right ones and give it some time, Facebook does stabilize. And again, unfortunately, it just requires that time, money and patience to get to that point. That's all. Okay. Well, thanks for your time today. That was very interesting. I think our uh, viewers gained a lot of value to this interview. Make sure you check out Ricky's uh, YouTube channel. You can get more uh, value there. We'll conclude that link below. So check that out. And uh, Ricky, thanks a lot.